Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Get energy without the judgment. Join the judgment-free zone today during the Big Fitness Energy Sale for $1 down, $10 a month. Cancel any time. Deal in Friday, February 16th. See home club for details. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth... Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California, subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey show. Coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter on X at jwright 929 espn In just a moment, we will discuss that surprising split of Memphis basketball games last night. I don't think a split was that surprising, but the way that it went indeed was. We'll discuss that with Mark Giannato when he joins us here on the phone in just a bit. 235, Blake Topmeyer is going to join the program. We'll get his thoughts on everything going on in the world of college athletics. 305, we will get into the list, get into the headlines of the day. We'll get into our games of the weekend. We'll tell your story, and then we will get out of here. But now let's welcome to the program the Commercial Appeals Lead Sports Columnist. The lead Sports Columnist, the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. Top three sports columnist in the state of Tennessee, barely. Tied for eighth, best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter, on X, at MGNato. Mark, good day sir I'm, I'm also a tired columnist Jeffrey mm-hmm. it was a it was a long night having you know I I didn't get to watch the Tigers game live because I was taking care of the kids but I watched the Tigers game wrote a column that published this morning and then because that Grizzlies game was so eventful and you know like how many more type of games are you gonna have of that I was like all right I gotta watch this 
Um, and so it was a late, it was very late night for this columnist. So I'm also a tired columnist today, in addition to all those other descriptors you've given me. Yes, typically, typically I don't buy into the whole uh, media criticism. They only care about the negative stories. They only care about the negative stories. Because last night, what happened at FedEx Forum was unquestionably like a great scene. Like it was, yeah. it was, I think. I think it was the most fun win since the Lakers game in L.A., and I think you can safely say it's the most fun win of the season because when you compare those two games, this game happened at home. But it also just feels well, like the stories are from the Tigers game. Yes. Well, because, I mean, ultimately, I know we can, and we can discuss this, like, does the emergence of G.G. Jackson and Vince Williams mean this is no longer a loss? season is like a meaningless but like ultimately it still is like you know the last game before the all-star break and it's just a you know the the ramifications you know you could maybe extend it out like the ramifications will extend into the future because we're watching gg jackson kind of blossom before our eyes and vince williams kind of emerge before our eyes but you know ultimately it's one game out of 82 in a season that is uh not really in terms of record heading anywhere, whereas, you know, that Tigers game was very consequential ultimately, um, uh, unfortunately not in a great way um, for this, for that, for that program. But, um, and so, you know, I think that's where the difference lies. I think, you know, like there's just a lot more stakes attached to every Tigers game right now. Um, and certainly even, honestly, that's the case even when the Grizzlies are in February and a playoff-type team at the All-Star break like they have been the past couple years, but even more so this year given where they are record-wise overall. But doesn't take away from um, – they've done a really good job. You know, like there are places like go to Detroit, go to Charlotte, go to um, – I don't know if I include San Antonio in this just because they – They have, have the Wimbenyana factor. Up. Yeah, the women Yama factor. But, like, there's a lot of places that are going through seasons like this where it's just a slog. And this season, I'll be honest, like, you know, had some, you know, there were some uh, slog vibes there for a second that were developing. And the last two games have been a pleasant, uh, for the Grizzlies, have been a pleasant reminder that, hey, you know, like, it doesn't have to be a complete slog. You know, they're, they're, they're good. You know, they're still... Um, memorable moments to be had. And yeah. last night was one of them. Yeah, I think there's a key difference. There's a difference to me between a lost season and a meaningless season. This mm-hmm. season is a lost season in the sense that you are in a competitive window and you're not going to be competitive in the sense of being a playoff team, a postseason team. It's lost in that sense. It doesn't yeah. have to be. Well, it doesn't I have to be that, meaningless because if you want to use the question that you had asked Steve Kerr, I don't know, was that two months ago? Now I, time stands still. I don't remember. Uh, oh yeah, that was. Uh, it was the MLK game. It was ML- the MLK Day game. Yeah, the MLK Day game, and he had mentioned, you know, the the their kind he specifically of specifically mentioned Jordan, Jordan Poole, Poole during their Poole. during their gap yeah. year, and if indeed the Grizzlies have found Vince Williams and found Gigi Jackson as a part to help them you know, push for a championship, then it's not a meaningless season. But I think the key thing is, I would say even more so than Vince, Gigi Jackson's on a different level, and it gives you a a reason to watch. Like, we had talked about how it was becoming difficult to watch these games. 
and you felt like you were very passively watching it. It does feel like when Gigi Jackson has, yet again, the type of game that he has last night, it does feel like it gives, it makes you feel something. Well, it's because you're watching Gigi and you are seeing, you know, you're, you're wondering, you know, what's the ceiling for this guy? You know, Vince, it feels like he's an elite, he's an elite uh, role player, potentially. It feels like the ceiling for Gigi is a little higher. I think that's probably fair, and I just think there's electricity to his game, and there's you know he he's got personality, he's charismatic. I mean, I, I do think there's there's an element of that where it's like it's infectious, and you know he can get on a heater like he did last night, and, and that is just so much fun to watch. We can get back to the Grizzlies. I had some I had some quick takes that I could that I was going to ask you about and see get get your gut reaction, but I think. Let's go to the Tigers game. So, okay. oh boy. 76-66, okay. I, I don't have my score sheet. I think that was the final, yeah, right? 76-66. That, that is correct. Yeah, 76-66. I think the question that I want to start with is, you know, normally we go, what are we going to be talking about on Monday? But today is one of those days. Let, let's talk about last night first. Mm-hmm. On paper, this is nowhere near the worst loss of the season, nowhere near... You know, it's a quad one loss right. today. It's nowhere near like an a, the top seventy-five, a quote-unquote unacceptable loss. But I think the question that I want to start with is why did last night feel so dejecting? Because you had talked yourself into okay, like you know, this team had a really rough two-week patch, and it's really unfortunate they did, and they've put their season in jeopardy, but. You had taught you were start you were trying as a Tiger fan, you were trying to talk yourself into all right, they they've maybe not figured it out, but they're headed back in the right direction and they're gonna you know, they're gonna make a run at this. And what it felt like, it wasn't just a loss, it just felt like a reversion to everything that went wrong during those two weeks. I mean, Penny had no idea what he was doing with his rotation and his subs, you know, Javon Quinterly from the literally the opening minutes, you could tell he was going to have a bad game. You know, he threw the ball away almost immediately. Clanged a bad, took a bad three pointer, and just threw the ball away. Um, you know, they go down eighteen to four. You know, like they're seasoned. You know, you're you you've spent the last two weeks going our backs are against the wall, and then you come out and not just have a bad start, you fall behind eighteen to four at North Texas. Um, a North Texas team, by the way, that wasn't, you know, like, you know, I, you know, I hear some people going, well, you know, this team hasn't been the same since Caleb Mills, and they're probably right. Like, they, they've been hurt very clearly by the fact that they don't have Caleb Mills. That team was missing two of their starting guards. Like, they were missing two starters yeah. for Texas. They were missing more guys than you were. Um, and that's why I think it was. And then, like, afterwards, it was just like, you know, it was the same old S, you know, and it's just like, I think there's a front. It wasn't just that that was one loss. And it wasn't even just that it was like a one loss in this season. It felt like that loss could have been transported to any number of seasons under Penny Hardaway. And it's, I think, a feeling of when exactly is this going to, you know, when exactly are this? It'd be one thing if, like, this, if different things were costing them. It feels like the same stuff costs them every year in every game. And I think people are frustrated that it hasn't been cleaned up at this point. No, I think that's exactly right. I mean, 
I suppose the key difference with this season compared to other seasons is what feels like is costing them is the fact that they can't guard anybody. Like it, the yeah. thing that the thing that's alarming to me is, for the most part, when you play against Memphis, kind of whatever your game plan is, it tends to work. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if you think about the Rice game, they had that action where. They'd pull their center out to, like, the top of the key, the three, and then they'd start working that back door. And they were just, like, running the same play over and over and over. And then it would work time and time again. And then if you have a team like last night where, you know, they're doing kind of some perimeter action to get these wide-open threes, it's like, well, we've seen that story. And yet again, here we are, a team team that just absolutely abuses them from the three-point line. And it's the... It just seems to me it's it's I think the key difference between this season and other seasons is it feels like you're getting frustrated on the other end of the floor. Well, and I think what's, you know, kind of alarming about all of this, I think like the way this season is transpiring and maybe, you know, listen, some people are going to say it's over and like it's not. They can win six in a row and I think they would be like I've said I've maintained if they went six and one over their last seven, I think they're in as an at large. They can still do that. They they have to win six in a row, which seems very unlikely at this point. But they can still they that is still something out there as a possibility. But what's I think what this season is doing though in to me it's not even just oh this season is going down the tubes. It's making you question the entire enterprise, like how they're moving forward. Like, is it really smart for Penny? Like Penny has said for the last essentially since midway through the 2021 season, um, the, the Jalen Duran, Amani Bates season, I'm just going to do this thing through the transfer portal. And, like, is that really smart? Like, you know, this team this year with 11, like, you know, and, and you know, I pointed out in my column, it's just, there's just so many things he has said, and then, like, nothing, it doesn't actually happen. Um, like, the thing I highlight, the thing I found, I thought the most alarming thing he said last night um, was not his standard. You know, it, it was funny. You could tell when he did the, because I listened to both the radio interview that he did with Wolo after the game, and he did that first, and then he talked to Parth and. Yeah. Um, he did the, the whatever, the, the post game media availability or press conference other, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, some other reporters that were there. And you could tell 85% of the Wolo interview, he was going with his tried and true, like, didn't follow the game plan, you know. He had a good game. He even at one point called it a brilliant game plan to defend the three that the players didn't follow. And then 85% of the way through, I don't know if he got a cue from someone off mic or or he just he realized himself. He finally, he, he you could you could almost sense he, it, it triggered in his mind, oh, these quotes aren't going to go over well. I, I, so think, he, I, think it, I think the simplest explanation is the easiest explanation. He does the radio interview fairly quickly after the game. You know, it's not quite... Walk- well, he does them back-to-back. He does them back-to-back. It's yeah. not right after the game. He it's, talks to the team first, but... It's he, almost he, like, though, I almost take... like I seriously almost take the, the radio interview more seriously because I think that's just, like, him shooting from the hip. Yeah, well, then finally, the at tail end of it, he, you know, started, like, giving you your, your boilerplate, like, this Starts is Starts with me, me. I like, didn't have him ready to play. Yeah, it's on me, I didn't have him ready to play. And then most, you know, basically his entire talk with reporters was as you know based on the words as sort of um it's on me as he's been this season 
Um, but the differing answers there. And then, but then I thought I, I used it as the lead of my column. Cause I was just like, I don't think I've ever heard a coach say something like this publicly. Um, and I'm not even sure if many of them would do it like this, but he was talking about, he was asked about, you know, like what did they do to David Jones to yeah. have it? I mean, it was his worst shooting performance. Um, it was basically by points. It was his worst. Output. I think it was his worst game in like three months. I think he scored 13 against Alabama state back at the beginning of the year. Um, and it was like, what did they do to kind of really hold him in check? And Penny responded. He actually thought it was more because Jones was tired because they had him guarding. I'm blanking on the kid's name now. He scored 30 last night off the top of my head. Uh, in, uh, hang on. It, it was, it started with a J it was, uh, uh, Edwards, Jason. Edwards, Jason Edwards. Yeah, like that. Jones was chasing around Jason Edwards on defense, especially after the beginning of the game, where I felt like Quinterly just looked, you know, was totally overwhelmed, um, or whoever was guarding him early. And like the way Penny described it was, Jones wanted to take on that challenge, even though that's not what I wanted for him to do. But I think his pride said he needed to do it, and so he did it. And it was like I, I, you can go read my column for the exact quote. But it's like, what? David Jones is deciding who he's defending, even though you don't think it's the right move for the team to have him defending that guy? Like, what is going on here? Like, you know, like, you're the coach. Like, and the way I phrased it is, and I thought it was very emblematic of, like, what the problem seems to be to me right now. There is a problem, in this case, defending Jason Edwards. Penny recognizes it's, it's a problem but then Cantor won't do anything about it. And we see it with the rotation. He recognizes, he's recognized that's a problem set, realized it, said it out loud. He's going to, he's going to get it down to seven or eight. Doesn't actually do it. He said after the NCAA tournament last year, man, one of the things I really regret is I wish I could have gotten these guys, these transfer portal guys in earlier. Um, I, I want, I want my whole team this time in by June. Well, what is he going to do this year? Like, Literally, it's even worse than last year. He's, like, bringing in guys of, like... In December. December. Well, and then like, bringing guys back. <laughs> and he has... I've asked him about it, and he's explained it as, like, listen, like, this is who was available, and, like, the better talent was available late. Now, and, it's like, I get it. But, like, this is what you said was, this is how you should be operating. And, you know, now you're going to tell us every other week that these guys don't know each other? Like, that's your fault. Like you, the way you went about constructing the team ultimately. And so, and again, I'm not like one of those people who is hammering home. You need to fire Penny Hardaway today. Like some fans are, I I just, he needs to come to grips with kind of like what he says and what he does, what he does don't align. And I think that's part of what you are feeling and hearing from the fan base there, you know, at a certain point, you know, I think you're, what you're feeling from the fan base is like, come on, Penny. No one is against you here. People in Memphis are rooting for you. Get it together. Like, if you're going to be the unorthodox coach, which is kind of what he is at this point, the way he runs his rotation, the way he's, you know, the way he's recruiting 11 transfer portal guys, you know, trying to press all game and all that. Like, he's the unorthodox coach. And when it doesn't work, you leave yourself open to criticism. And, like, it feels like a little too unorthodox now. Like, he needs to be more of, like, a normal coach, not Penny Hardaway, the player's coach. And, uh, you know, like, I just – 
I don't sense any sort of adjustments. It's like everything's doubling down on what he's done. And, like, the reality is it feels like with this group, you pointed back to the defense, it feels like he's, like, trying to jam a square peg into a round hole right now, and the results are reflective of that. No, I mean, I think that's the key question because, you know, I was I went back because I was curious, you know, when did this start with the, the rotations becoming? And I found it interesting. The only year where he did not have double-digit guys that played uh, double-digit guys that played double-digit minutes is the very first team. And I, I think that that's interesting because, you know, largely largely that yeah. team is the team he inherited. And so... I mean, the only guys he viewed as, like, his guys on that team were Alo, Tyler, and Jeremiah. Right. Even Jeremiah, like, that's a stretch. He had him for one year, but because he was a Memphis guy... You know, he viewed him as, like, one of his guys. And he was the best player on the team, obviously. And um, the thing, though, that I think, though, that's interesting about that team, while that team was probably the least successful team that he's had, I weirdly think that was his best coaching job. I don't think that team was that good at all. And the fact oh, that I he... Thought, I thought last year until... Like, if you take out the first-round upset to Florida Atlanta, I thought last year... No, that's fair. Year. No, you're right. You're right. But then, like, there's that. There's kind of the. Why I'm not ready to fire him? No, no, no. Oh, 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 I'm. I'm not even talking about because I don't even think it's an option. So I don't deal in. I don't deal in things that I don't think are possibilities. So, the thing though, if you want to compare it to last year's team though, and if you want to talk about you know doing it in the transfer portal, so if you want to, I'll use the example of another guy that's transfer heavy. Now I get it; it's different sports, but hang with me here. So Lane Kiffin two years ago. They went heavy in the transfer portal, and they kind of did it a lot like this team, where they just tried to get the best guys they could, and they had a hot start. I think they started 7-0, and and then I think they lose 5 of 6 down the stretch to go 7-5, and five, and I think they lost their bowl game, but whatever. They don't, they, they, the point is they went 7-5. and five. The adjustment that they made during the offseason was it wasn't necessarily – trying to get the quote-unquote best available player in the portal, they were they started focusing on character of the guys. And, like, they were big into that as part of their advanced scouting of guys that they went after. And while this team that he had this year was nowhere near probably as talented as the previous 10-win team that he had, like, they were, they were pretty good. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's probably the adjustment that you have to make because it's too late to rebuild this team with freshmen. You know what I mean? Like young guys, like yeah. you, you, that's that ship has sailed. But yeah, but he, like I do think like you're gonna hit. have to go in the portal again, and I think that there's gonna have to be because it feels like this team was largely built on guys that put up good numbers on bad basketball well, teams. Well, just look at how they came in. It was like okay, Caleb Mills, uh, Caleb Mills came in immediately. Who else? Like out of the guys who were playing, like Caleb Mills came in immediately, like right after the season ended. Like he was here for the whole time. Um, and, um, but then like, you know, it was like, then David Jones committed in like, I believe it was around the golf tournament. Time. Yeah, that, that sounds. No, it was like, no, no, it wasn't the golf tournament. It was the Liberty Bowl charity event. It was like right around that, whenever that, the Liberty Bowl charity golf event. I want to say that's usually like June. And I always feel like that's yeah. around like Father's I think it was middle of June yeah. he committed. Then Jordan Brown was a couple weeks after that. Then Quinterly was a couple weeks after that. Then Walton was like after 
the season had, or after the school year had even started, had it started. Um, but Jones didn't get here until right before school started. Um, Quinterly and Brown literally just like they were, they first got here for the Bahamas trip. Um, you know, we mentioned Walton, obviously Naquan Tomlin came in December, but, um, the other thing, I just think he needs to make adjustments, whether it's that I, again, I, I always stress, I'm not as much into how many guys he plays. It's more to me about have some semblance of plan with your substitution patterns. Like, I haven't, you know how I write out, I do the plus minus and I write out the lineups for, for some of these games. I've only done like half the games this year, but I can just tell you from having done half the games, if you just study it a little bit, you would know already that when they have played Jaden and Ashton together at the same time, I'm not even talking about playing one of them. One right. of them's fine. You can get, you know, you can but get But it's on the floor at the same time. On the floor at the same time. It has never worked all season. And it was last night at one of the most critical moments. It's 39-38 with, you know, you've worked your way back into the game and you put out a lineup with both, like, with both of them on the floor. Like, people, you know, have looked at it because they well, also no, had Brown. No, I, I know together. that I, I'm sorry for not citing whoever put it on Twitter. But somebody went back and looked. Mark, that lineup had never played together this season. Yes. I, I didn't have the time last night to look it up. I, I guessed it had never. It would have because there's only like they'd never certainly played since Jordan Brown returned, and Jordan Brown only played seven games at the beginning of the season. Right. But nonetheless, to me, the to me, it was about lineups when both of his sons are on the floor have not worked ever this year. Ever, I can just I like again. I haven't mapped out all of the games, but just in general, like. You, that should be on your no-no list. Okay, listen, maybe he wants to play both of his sons, even though, like, like there was no reason to me why Ashton was in the rotation last night um, when the rotation seemed to work pretty well without him in your best game in months against Tulane. Why then the next game is Ashton the first guy off the bench? It makes no sense. But, again, to me it's not about him playing his sons or how many guys he plays. Go into the game. It's pretty clear to me he has no plan whatsoever or like hasn't really studied what lineups actually work for him. And like that needs to change. We're six years in and like that that's where I think the frustration is with a lot of people. Is like when is he going to make adjustments? Because like, yeah, you can get by and field the tournament team coaching the way you are given how you can collect talent. But if you actually want to do what you say you wanna do, you've got to evolve as a coach. That's what this year is showing like very, very clearly. Like I don't think you, unless you have the perfect personnel, the last two years have shown you, you cannot press all game. Like the last two teams have not been great at pressing. Yet he is pre- this year. He's pressing, you know, a ton. Well, I mean, and I mean that that was so dumb last night to press when what was it five? They they got it back. Was well, it five or six? Back in the game, they had gotten back in the game a little. Bit. Like I will say, like North Texas had struggled with pressure previously in previous games. Yeah, but the this team can't even pressure. To it. But the reality is, once you got it down to five, two minutes to go, just lock in and get a stop. You know? Like, that's what you needed to do there. And so, you know, you saw he's, I mean, ultimately, he's, uh, he's got to look in the mirror. You know, the, his, you know, the yes men of Memphis are going to tell you it's the player's fault. And listen, 
They did not, not play well. Many yeah. games when Javon Quinterly plays like that. You know, Jones as bad as he was shooting. At least he was rebounding. He was trying on you know trying to do stuff like. To me, it was Quinterly was the real issue. Obviously, Jones. You know, but you're just not. You're not going to win many games when they shoot. What was it a combined like five of like twenty seven? Yeah, five of twenty three is what they were. You're not going to win. Like that is true. If they have decent games, maybe they win that game. But that doesn't change the fact that what Penny is doing right now as a coach is not good enough. If he wants to actually get over the hump, if this program wants to get back to where it was 15 years ago or even close to that, this is not good enough, what he's doing as a coach this year. Um, And hopefully he is realizing that, you know, and hopefully it's not just words because that's what we've also seen now more and more. It's like he'll say the right thing, but, like, whether he'll do it, whether he'll follow through, that is a total crapshoot. Last thing on this, because I think this is actually the question that uh, I care the most about. Why do you believe there is this insistence? Because typically what we see is, like, when things don't work, like, I guess with Penny, it's almost like when things don't work, he changes the way that he builds a roster. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, all right, well, I'm not going to do it with freshmen anymore. I'm going to do it with transfers. Well, it works with transfers. I'm going to keep doing it with transfers. What I don't understand is why the why does why is there an insistence of trying to win in this fashion? Because not many coaches would double and triple down in this fashion. I think he's gotten his head how he wants to play the game of basketball. It worked at the high school level. I'd argue it didn't work like personally. Like he had like one like he had like like one kind of good run at Peach Jam at the AAU level, you know, where he made the Sweet Sixteen. But like you know, when when ultimately when he was going up against the elite prospects in AAU, like they weren't like steamrolling through Nike, the Nike circuit, playing the way he plays. Um, I mean, it is a unique style. If you get the right personnel, it can work. I just don't get the insistence on, you know, like there there it just doesn't feel like there's been enough adjustments made um, over the last month to what this team is capable of doing. This is not the, like he says, that's Memphis basketball. And it's like, that may be true, but like, I don't know if this team can play that version of Memphis basketball. They have different strengths. Oh, I, I don't even think that's a, that's a question. I think they have proven that they cannot play that. But, I mean, Mark, we're, this is, by the way, yeah. this is year six and what, we're at game... We're at game 20, was 25, we've just, just finished. Right. Yeah, no, we have six games to go in the regular season, and it feels like he doesn't really eat. Like, what is even his, like, set rotation? He doesn't even have a rotation, and we're 25 games in. And it's just like, you know, you're just asking for nights like last night. And, you know, I don't think this, you know, it'll be very interesting to see, like, how they respond on Sunday against SMU. Part of me seems to think, like, given what we know about Penny and how, you know, like, their backs against the wall. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if they go and win in Dallas against SMU coming off. Like, they play much better and go and win. I just don't know. What we've seen is that I don't. I just don't know if they can do that six times in a row. No, it's, it's almost like the, the, perfect, the perfect, like, w- symmetry for this season would be for no apparent reason to go and win on Sunday and then, mm-hmm. like, lose to ECU. Yeah. 
like beat or lose to Charlotte at yeah. home on yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know like, what I mean? Like just and um, and so it, it's a, he's in a tricky spot because that to me is what's most worrisome about this is beyond like obviously like as I said a couple weeks ago when this really started tailing off. It will be a bad look for him if this team is not in the NCAA tournament, and that's what we're trending towards. This is going to be a bad look for him. But more than that, it just feels like the way this is playing out makes you question kind of the foundation that he thought he had set, you know, kind of the culture. Like, you know, are they really going to go and get, grab 10 more guys from the portal this offseason? Is that really, like, the smartest move? Are, are they going to continue to play this? NBA-style offense where Malcolm Dandridge is on the broadcast being interviewed, asked, what do you like most about Penny? And it's basically the freedom he gives you to do whatever you want on offense as long as you play defense. And, like, is that really the best way to get, you know, get this program over the hump into the second weekend? And and as Penny has wanted, you know, competing for Final Fours and National Championships eventually again. Like, is that, you know, playing full-court pressure, trapping defense all, like, 40, 40 minutes or 35 minutes? Is that really and, – and, 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 again, hitting the portal as hard – is that really the best route? I don't know. I, I'm not – you know, I don't run the program. I'm not here to say it's the wrong route. I'm just saying the way this is playing out this season makes me question whether it's the right route. All right, we'll have plenty to talk about, I'm sure, on Monday. All right, I'm going to quickly run through these rapid-fire takes from the Grizzlies game. You ready? Okay, go for it. Ian Eagle sounded like a, a, a 20-year-old that just came back from his study abroad with his name pronunciations last night. <laughs> did, you, did, did you know? Like, it was like, I was like, no one is, like, I, it was like, I can't even remember how he did Santi. It was like, Sante. Like, it was just like, it was, it, no yeah, and then, a too cute. now granted, he is, a New Yorker, but he called Secaucus Sea Caucus, and I was mm. like, I was like, have I been saying that wrong? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I am yielding to him because he lives up there. But I that, feel like I've always heard it's Secaucus, right? Like that's yeah. that's what I've always heard. I mean, Secaucus. Okay. I mean, I trust Brevin. I mean, I trust Brevin and Pete, and they always say Secaucus. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and Pete, and we know he's a New Jersey guy. Isn't Brevin is a Jersey guy, and Pete is also a Shakespearean trained actor. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, okay. The the effort difference last night was extremely noticeable. <laughs> Until like about nine minutes. Yeah. Giannis came back in the yeah, first Yeah, quarter. exactly. Then yeah. Milwaukee, like really, Milwaukee's like, oh, crap, we might lose this. Um, no, it it is amazing that, like, their decision to fire Adrian Griffin and hire Doc Rivers, I mean, we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll get it together after the All-Star break. This feel it feels like Adrian Griffin's going to come out all right on this. That's my that would be my prediction. We're going to look back at Adrian. People are yeah, Adrian you, Griffin's going to get another shot. At it it turns out maybe it all plays out. It may not be coaching. It may now. I think Adrian Griffin's to blame some too. Like if I'm going to coach Giannis, like I'm going to befriend him in a way. It's like that that guy's going to like have my back. All things. Mm-hmm. But it does turn out if you get rid of your best defender and you bring in a guy that plays literally no defense, it's like okay. Your defense might struggle. Uh, along those same lines, I was like, the um, the ease that the Grizz got points in the paint last night was jarring from the Bucks' perspective. Yeah, yeah, and like the Grizzlies, this Grizzlies team is not a particularly good team. Exactly. No, I mean, like they they had they had exceeded like their season average by ten points in the third quarter, like through three quarters. Uh, yeah. Greg Anthony's point about the I don't know if you got to 
watch the broadcast with sound. A ball went into the stands and clearly like got knocked by a drink. Mm-hmm. They took that ball out of play. That changed the whole the whole tenor of the game. Like the Grizzlies, mm-hmm. the Grizzlies hadn't made a shot in the fourth quarter, it was and Greg a bad ball, bad it was ball, a bad ball, bad bad vibes in that ball. And, and Greg Anthony could not have been more right. Uh, also, Grizz Twitter, Mark, they would be so disappointed with Giannis. He only had four rebounds. Oh yeah, yeah. Gotta be yeah. If you're seven foot, you gotta grab ten. Yeah, and then I'd, I'd mention it. I, I just think that was the most fun win of the season. More fun than like say Jaw's first home game, <sighs> or like the Pelican his first game. The the, yeah, but I'm, I, I I give it needs the one that I would accept is the Jaw home game. But there was something about the way this game played out. Like this one was well, the closest thing to having into an, the all. And you're going in the all-star break. Yeah. Nice way to go into the all-star break. And so, um, yeah, it was fun stuff last night. And uh, um, I kind of wish I was there. Like, I was watching it late last night. I That's was, the gosh, first game in a very, very long time. I was like, man, I'd like to be there. Yeah. Yeah. So good stuff by the Grizzlies. And uh, unfortunate uh, unfortunate situation for the Tigers. We'll see. I mean, may, hey, Stranger things have happened than them reeling off six wins. Of I mean, a they won ten the straight Tigers. at this at, at this yeah. season. Yeah, so let's see if they can get it together on Sunday. Remember, remember, this is going to be a bonding road trip. We'll yeah, see. yeah, let's yeah see. we'll see. This the strength of these next two off days. All right, buddy, we appreciate it. All right, see ya, Mark Giannato. When we come back, Blake Topmeyer joins the program. Let's talk about all that's going on in the world of college sports. We'll do that next right here on Giannotto and Jeffrey, 92.9 FM. Yes. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment down. Down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Giannato and Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the next generation 10G network. Only from Xfinity. The Giannato and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Blake Topmeyer is the SEC columnist for USA Today Sports. 
He's also the host of SEC Football Unfiltered. The podcast is available each and every week on all major podcast platforms. Go download, like, subscribe. You know the drill. He's on Twitter, on X, at Topmire. Blake, I feel like since you and I kind of view the, the world fairly similarly, what did you think was the most significant piece of news this week? As it turns to college college sports, let's we'll we'll leave out the other things that happen in the world. The most significant did uh, did the Chip Kelly movement happen this week? I guess that was the end. That of, was that of was last. Week. That was Friday, like around. I don't know. I think I texted you right after the show. Uh, yeah. That. So this week we had the ESPN extension of the playoff, uh, yeah. going up to one point three billion per year. We had. Uh, Let's see. We also had the Del Conte, uh, the Del Conte, I guess, trying to like giving us a rough outline of when the SEC would move to nine games, which I believe is twenty six, which would also line up with the new playoff. Uh, we had Tennessee going to court. Kliavkov uh, is no longer going to be the commissioner of the Pac twelve, but I would also argue the commissioner of what um, right. is so. I, I don't even know if that would. Yeah, I, I guess the, the two big ones there. Um, I mean, ESPN's kind of notable, keep, keeping keeping the playoff, um, especially at that price tag. Um, and then Tennessee going to court was, um, I guess, interesting for kind of the uh, the legal nerds among us as to uh, what this might mean for the NCAA. But I, I think for like John Q. Fan, um, you know, the, the, the ESPN remaining the long term home of the college football playoff is, is probably the most notable at, uh, obviously, a, a, a big, big price. So, and, and it's interesting to me because, you know, in the world I operate in, SEC land, um, obviously they're transitioning to ESPN-only platform yeah. next year. And now, um, you know, the playoff is, is going to stay uh, in the ESPN family. So, um, you know, if you root for an SEC team, I uh, hope you like your uh, ESCN and ABC broadcasters because they're going to be uh, taking your season from wire to wire now. If I read the story correctly from Marshawn, it is also important to note, much like the Big Ten does where Fox owns the rights to every game, but they can, like, they sub-license. The 230 CBS Big Ten game is sub-licensed to CBS, and then they sub-license to NBC for the, the primetime game. ESPN does have the ability to sub-license games, so maybe one ends up on Fox. Because the first thought that I had was, I don't feel like they would have made this agreement if the Big Ten wasn't comfortable. And I think at this point you have to say the Big Ten and Fox seem to be seem to be operating pretty uh, pretty lockstep. Yeah, I think I think that's that's probably fair. Um, what's interesting about this is. You know, I think the gut reaction of everybody is like, well, I guess we got our long-term playoff format, and and this doesn't lock that in no. at all, right? Like the, the format can still change, um, you know, after a couple of years. Well, it can still change now. I mean, the format can change at any time. It's interesting to me uh, that right now we're still in the six-by-six six format of six auto bids and six at-larges, even though nobody really believes that's the format that's going to be in place. Um, come playoff time, and you know everybody's waiting for that to get modified to the five automatic qualifiers and the seven at-large bids to reflect the fact that the Pac-12 is now the Pac-2. Um, but you still got to have the votes to to make that happen. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the the future of the playoff format, I think, is still uh, very fluid. Where most of the games are going to be broadcast 
we we learned that that much this week. Yeah, and then I guess I suppose you could make the argument the other piece of news in that story that was about the playoff is, you know, depending on whatever the format is. So it seemed to not rule out that this thing could go to 16 or whatnot. Right. But, and, and to me, the more the more fascinating aspect is kind of what you're talking about, like the lack of agreement on the format to this point. If you're the ACC and the Big, and the Big 12 and you've already watched the SEC and the Big 10 at least publicly acknowledge some type of, I don't know if we want to call it an alliance, but what do they call it? It was like a, a strategic partnership or whatever, whatever, whatever yeah. their terminal, whatever Advisory their corporate group. Yeah. Whatever their buzzwords was. Wouldn't it behoove them to probably go up to them and say, like, all right, what do we got to do to be a part of this in some shape, form or fashion? Because I just feel like the, I feel like if you do the, the college sports move of lookout for number one that we've seen throughout the entirety of it, that does feel like that could force the Big Ten and the SEC to actually break away because I don't think that's their intention right now. But like that does yeah, seem to me like a way to get left intention. out. Yeah, I don't think it's their intention either. I think they want um, you know all this bluster to give them some additional leverage, much like Sankey wanted two years ago whenever he threatened uh, at spring meetings in 2022 to stage an SEC only playoff if he didn't get the format that he wanted and no one really believed that he was he was really anywhere close to being on the verge of of doing that but it gave him just enough leverage uh to make sure that the 12 team playoff got across the finish line uh and that there were six bids for at-large qualifiers which is what Sankey wanted um and, and i think that's what the big 10 and the sec want here they they i don't really think they want to go off into their own world um, I think they just want leverage to get, you know, the playoff format that they want. And and to your point, the, the Big 12 and the ACC don't want the Big 10 and the, uh, and, and the SEC to go off into their own world either. So I think it's probably going to be you give a little to get a little situation. I would think that the Big 10 and the SEC are giving less and getting more um, because they have the leverage. They have the upper hand. I, I think the – uh, I think the important thing for the ACC and Big 12 is I would suspect that they want to keep at least four, four or five auto bids in the playoff format because that would prevent the Florida, the Florida State scenario from yeah. this past season where you, know, you have what you think is this great team and you, you get shut out of the playoff. I mean, theoretically, the playoff getting bigger should take care of that anyway, but I think you want to leave nothing to chance. I think you want to feel like your conference champion um, is secure into the playoff at the very least. So I think the compromise could be like going to 16 teams, making those four additional bids at large, uh, which would keep the Big Ten and the SEC happy because they're going to look at those four additional at large bids and say, uh, that's two for me and two for you, SEC and Big Ten. Um, so I, I think that could be, you know, sort of the middle ground here is you keep about five auto bids, one for each of the power fours, one for the group of five, and then you you go up to 11 at-larges in a 16-team uh, playoff. And, and that leaves, you know, if you got 11 at-larges plus an auto bid apiece for the SEC and the Big Ten, that's 13 total. And they're probably getting most of the at-larges. That could be, you know, a 16-team playoff, you could have 11 or 12 teams 
from the SEC and, and Big Ten. I think that keeps their leadership happy. It keeps them in the fold, and the Big 12 and um, the ACC still get uh, a seat, at least one seat at, at the table. On the, the nine-game schedule, as, as Del Conte, I guess, I don't even know if you'd say he hinted at it. I think he said it. Yeah, he, he pretty well scooped the, scooped the league. Correct, which, by the way, that might be one of the most Texas things I've, I've ever seen. I think the thing, though, that's interesting to me, it's not necessarily the nine-game schedule. And we knew that at some point that was inevitable. ESPN didn't pay this much money to only have eight games. We talked about it when they didn't vote for it the last time it came up. It's like, all right, you, you can have your way for now, but it, eventually it's going to this. I think the thing that's more fascinating is what do they do with those other three games? Are they still going to require another power four or whatever I mean, I, I presume Florida and Florida State want to keep that game. And so and when you think and the Clemson-South Carolina game, I'm more curious if we're getting to an era where the nine you're going to have the nine conference games and then if TV has their way, those other three games are all either, you know, power four games or, you know, scheduling Notre Dame. I'm very curious to see what, they, what, the, what the terminology is of the other three games. That's right, and because I don't think like the Alabama, LSU, Floridas of the world, um, you know, Georgia, I don't think they want um, to give up their marquee non-conference game. And so, um, you know, if they're not doing it, I don't know that they're going to be real eager to let like Kentucky and South Carolina. I guess South Carolina couldn't because they still have to play Clemson. Um, but say like a Kentucky. Do you want them to be able to play three cupcakes plus their nine conference games, or do you want to keep the requirement in uh, to make them play at, at least one, you know, power four non-conference game? I think it probably comes down to the votes. Like, if if you need some of the schools that want to stay at eight, uh, if you need to per- persuade a couple of them to come over, then I guess you say, uh, okay, in exchange to get your vote on this, we'll allow you to play three cupcakes. Uh, in your non-conference, but I don't think they're—I really don't think they're—they're going to need to to make that sacrifice. I think there's enough power players here that uh, once they get the the agreement that they want with with ESPN, which is why we think that it probably didn't happen last year. There wasn't enough financial incentive to do it last year. Um, but as you said, at some point, there's going to be an agreement between the the ESPN and the SEC that hey, you guys are going to nine conference games. Um, I think the votes are going to be there, and, and I don't think they're going to have to get rid of that requirement uh, to play at least one uh, Power Four opponent in the non-conference. So that would then be, you know, at a minimum, 10 of your 12 games are what I would call real games, and, and at maximum you would have two joke games on your schedule. And I think the schools like Alabama and LSU – I think at that point they're going to have like one joke game yeah. on the schedule. You're, you're going to have like your one game against your UL Monroe or your Middle Tennessee or whatever. Um, you're going to play two marquee Power Four opponents, uh, and and you'll have nine SEC games. Now, if you're Kentucky, you know you might play your nine SECs. You play Louisville for your Power Four, and you play two joke games. Um, but but I think a lot of the the upper echelon teams, uh, eleven of those, eleven out of twelve games. Pretty soon, with with the nine conference games and, and two marquee non conference games, they're they're going to be real ones, and, and you just got one laugher mixed in there. I do wonder also if I'm 
I'm curious to know the appetite from like the ACC and the Big 12. They have some of those games that are already, you know, that are mainly the ACC. I think the Big 12 seems kind of butthurt. Like Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, like, you know, you had, you had Gundy right. going like, we're not going to play that game. They left, so we're not playing that. I almost think like a bargaining chip would be, okay, we'll go along with your playoff format, but we're going to come up with some type of scheduling agreement where you're going to play us. Because I, I think I think the more it becomes a TV product, the more you're going to have to start incentivizing people to go. And I think the easiest way to get people to go is make it be a big game. I, I do wonder, and I, you know, for the the, a, the AAC would obviously go for that because I think they're going to really struggle to schedule these games after this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see the incentive for them to play that game. But like, I almost wonder if if those leagues kind of come together and say, like, we got to come up with some type of scheduling agreement where, you know, you're going to get at least guarantee our schools to, like, play each other. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that possibility, but I, I like the rationale there because, again, it's it's going to have to be you give a little to get a little. And, and like I said, I think, I think the SEC and the Big Ten are going to be giving up the least in this playoff negotiation. But one thing where they might be willing to come around on um, is – yeah, striking a striking an accord with enough conferences to get the format they want across the table, and you throw them a bone and say, "Yeah, we'll make sure you know a handful of all, you, you come up to the top of the line uh, when we need to fill a non-conference date." Um, yeah, I think that that there's some some logic to that. I, I would agree. The other thing that I find funny is as we kind of wrap up here, forever and ever and ever, we always talked about. We always heard, you know, the hurdle to this is the bowl games, the bowl games, the bowl games. I was trying to think about this. When did we just finally, because I've been screaming about this, I know for at least, I started in this in 2012. I've been screaming about this at least since then, like, screw the bowl games. Who cares? Like, that's not, who cares? When did we flip a switch? It feels like that we finally just started operating that way. It's like, when did that that switch flip? And, like, I feel like that was should have kind of been a momentous moment. But like I don't, I don't even like really recognize like when it actually occurred. Yeah, and, and we're kind of wondering like why is it just the first round games that are on the campus sites? When is it going to go to quarterfinals that are on campus sites? And I would actually say I think one of your biggest hurdles to getting more games on campus sites is not necessarily the bowl games. I mean that's sort of the the blanket phrase that's used about why more of these playoff games are not going to be at campus. I actually think it's the logistics of it, because if you look at the scheduling of it, um, you know, the, the, some of the, the first, the first two rounds of playoff games, your first round games and then your quarterfinals are going to be occurring kind of right around the holidays yeah. where your universities are not operating uh, at full staff. Your, your, your students have gone home um, and what have you. So to, to host a game, say on new year's Eve, or December 30th, you are calling staff back um, that is otherwise, you know, kind of off for the holidays. Yep. And so um, that that's sort of the logistical aspect of it that I think is sort of often left out about, because everybody wants to see, like, all these games, maybe other than the championship, uh, played on, on campus sites. But there is that other side of it in, you know, it takes a lot of people to put on a football game, and, and these are dates where these universities aren't accustomed to being to operating at, at full staff because you know campus is pretty much shut down over the holidays and the football teams go play at some bowl destination. Um, so I do think there's sort of this adjustment period, but I think it's 
it's probably going to get to the point at some point where we see, I think anyway, where we see first round games and quarterfinal games uh, would, would be on. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with hot buys. Your choice of color starting at just three 99 Ashley sleep mattresses starting at two fifty. plus receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns and Foster Tempur-Pedic purple and beauty rest black with 60 month special financing only at Ashley subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required minimum monthly payment down payment tax and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 